This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everyone. Hopefully you had a good week. Staying safe out there. With the protesting and COVID and all. Uh, COVID, especially with kind of lifting restrictions all over the country. I see a spike in pretty much all those states that open too early. And a lot of people are anticipating a second wave. So even though it feels like everyone is hanging out, I think that's one of the hardest things, just the peer pressure of it all. Everybody is just rushing out too too much. I did get an antibody test over the weekend, so I should know uh, within days if I had it go through my household. It, they said that if you were sick from December, February, like with flu-like symptoms, that especially well, in California, uh, most likely you you had it. So uh, it takes about two months, I think, after you had it to have antibody show up into your system. I think it's going to come back negative, but uh, it is like body armor that my family has been kind of having in the back of their mind. So I think this will resolve that. No, it was just a flu. So if I didn't didn't have it or did have it most likely the whole family that went through it uh, had it or didn't have it as well i didn't show any symptoms i just noticed everybody in the house was getting sick so be interesting you know i'll let you guys know next week by then i should know the results Uh, other than that i'm just trucking along man it's been a weird year and uh, a lot of it's just been focusing on myself. The gyms are opening up finally. Uh, I go to 24-hour fitness. I don't know if you guys have it, depending on where you are outside the country, but it's a it's a popular gym chain here in the United States. Uh, they <laughs> recently filed for bankruptcy, so they closed about 100 stores or 100 gyms throughout the nation within the day, uh, I feverishly went to check if my two local gyms that I usually go to uh, were open or not. And uh, thankfully they were. So, yeah, it didn't affect any of my gyms. I uh, don't know how long that's going to last, but it's it's just a constant reminder that once we get out of this, that the... the world is going to look a little different. A lot of stores will be gone. Uh, Not a lot of stores can survive this type of thing. So there's no end in sight just yet. But I am hearing a lot more reports with um, people wearing masks. I know for some reason, the Americans are not used to wearing masks. Some even really oppose it. 
but it's very effective. Uh, I think I've heard and read a story where these two hairdressers um, continue taking on clients, even with um, COVID, uh, diagnosed with COVID. Uh, they just couldn't take that break. So they continue to take clients. They took the precautions, mostly wearing masks. Their clients would wear masks. And with contact tracing, they had about 140 clients over a couple of weeks span. And none of them had COVID. And uh, even better, 40% or 40 people of that 140 went and got tested for COVID and came back negative. So, I mean, that's another way of showing that how effective face covering really is. And I think it's pretty silly that people are still arguing and speculating if it works or not. I mean, other countries, especially Asian countries that have dealt with this type of virus pandemic before, uh, it's part of their culture now to wear a mask and stay safe. So I, I don't know why we keep ignoring facts out there, even though we're doing this for the first time, we have other countries data to kind of look at and, and just adopt. So we kind of did that with COVID too, with Italy going through it, China going through it. Um, I, I feel like we, we kind of ignore a, what, a lot of what they went through and, and went through our own cycle. So uh, that's a little tidbit news, if anything, to kind of keep you guys motivated. Um, the PS5 officially had its launch event. That was super exciting. It looks really good. Uh, they, they focused on the game. There was a lot of good games that I saw. Um, nothing as mind-blowing as the Unreal 5 tech demo. I mean, that was hard to beat. But there, was good, there were good games from good companies that uh, it had a really strong showing, very positive reception uh the, the console itself yeah it looks like a binder but i feel like at this point people are always going to make fun of it <laughs> no matter how it looks so um i'm fine with it it looks huge i wonder really how big it is but it's pretty exciting but the hype is real uh so the next round table, as you can imagine, will be fully dedicated to to talking about that. So I'll do a sit down with Ray to kind of go through each part of that demo and get his thoughts. So that should be at the end of the month. Got to wait a while. Might do a games recap before then. But uh, until then, uh, hold on. <laughs> uh, other than that, uh, this this talk was actually done. In uh, 2019, the G-Dux Redux 2019 uh, in November. So this is with John Podlasik. Podlasik. He's the podcast host of Game Dev Advice. Uh, feel free and I highly encourage you to check that out. He's been in the industry, AAA, indie, for a very long time, for 20 years. And now he works at uh, Level X, which is a medical app. Uh, game company. So his talk is very special. It is a trend that I've seen in the last couple of years where a lot of 
enterprise companies, games that are non-traditional games are using game tools uh, to help with other industries. Uh, so in this case, medical industry is very interesting. It's very cool. And you can uh, hear his the pain that he went through to finally find some stability outside the game industry. And it, it is a move that I see that's going to happen a lot uh, in the next few years, if not at a rapid pace. Uh, I already know friends that were at top at the top of their game in the AAA industry working on amazing IPs, but opted to go out to work for Facebook or Google, uh, especially people in the Bay Area, uh, because of the stability, uh, better work-life balance, and higher pay, to be honest. So it's really hard to beat. I don't think games are there yet. It's going to be a while until games can match the tech industry's salary, stability, and um, way of office life. So uh, super excited to introduce this uh, to let you guys listen. Enjoy. Uh, before uh, before I kind of lead you off, I want to thank you for our sponsors um, for this talk. Perforce, the number one software for version control. If you are working in a small team or big, you want to use Perforce to file share, especially in this time of remote working. You don't want to lose your work and you don't want to use share drives like Dropbox or Google Drive to transfer files. Um, that's an accident waiting to happen. So go to Perforce to check it out. We have had uh, Brad Hart on the podcast uh, a couple episodes ago, he is the CTO of Perforce, and it's more important than ever to stay online, stay connected with all your coworkers, and continue working. I recommend you guys to listen to that episode after this one um, because it's really relevant to the times. And secondly, I want to thank Unity for sponsoring this talk. Unity is an amazing application software for you to build your game. If you have an idea, if you want to execute it, there's no easier engine to learn and use than Unity. So go to unity.com and try it out. There is a free trial, uh, especially for indie users uh, to get up and running. They are constantly upgrading tools. As you may have known, Ray is the global director over there at Unity, and he is the smartest guy I know. He's a graphics engineer by trade. So all he deals with is graphics and engines, and he chose to stake his life over at Unity. He's working there right now, obviously, and he's loving it. And he's super excited every time a feature is announced and super more excited of futures that are not yet announced. So he knows his stuff. So you guys uh, are in good hands. So go to unity.com to check that out. All right. Further, without further ado, uh, go ahead and enjoy John's talk on working outside the game industry, but using game tools.
So I think it's uh, for options beyond traditional game development. Um, wanted to get into this topic that's near and dear to me and just uh, a little bit about myself. I work at Level X Incorporated and I'm a host of the Game Dev Advice podcast. So the credentials page, um, 30 years in the industry, hard to believe that now that I think back, but it was 1989 when I started working at the TurboGrafx-16 as a hotline phone rep. Um, been at 10 different game studios over the years and worked in some of the titles. Big ones, uh, probably heard of maybe, likely Mortal Kombat, Deadly Alliance, Deception, Armageddon, and about half of... Um, MK vs. DC Universe. Worked on a Beavis and Butthead PC game, uh, Marvel Avengers Initiative on mobile, a bunch of other things on PC, Facebook, um, mobile, and lots of console. And I'm now the, as I mentioned, Director of Talent Acquisition at Level X. Um, 2015, I was talked into by a media consultant to do a Reddit. So I did that. It was kind of fun, and I was excited this year to be named as part of uh, Tim Schaefer, Gabe Newell, people like that. So it was exciting. Here's some pictures and things just to show a little bit about my background. So what is traditional game development? Just just so we have a, a context, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what I'm talking about, but just to be extra sure. You know, console games, handheld games, PC games, mobile games, all intended for a general kind of consumer audience. So it's kind of like those games, you know, when you think back, what got you interested in the industry? You know, what was that game? You know, maybe it was StarCraft II or maybe Halo or, you know, uh, for myself, Spy Hunter, right? You know, it was that game that, that really hooked you and, and got you interested um, in the industry. So that's kind of what you think as. Um, traditional games, and they're obviously out there and doing well. This talk is not going to be about, though, focusing um, in that space. I've got plenty of ideas around that and discuss some of them on my podcast, but but not for today. Um, so I'm not going to be able to help with, you know, getting that art job. Say you have a, um, you know, that genius idea for a game or you want to make money with uh, your indie game. I, I, this is uh, areas we're not going to cover today. And there's other areas that will people that can do that. It will be about though, um, say you work in traditional game development, maybe you're concerned about burnout or crunch. I know it's gotten press. It's been going on forever. I think it's getting better than it, uh, than it used to be, but, um, you know, it's out there and normally outside of traditional game development, that's less of a factor. So maybe you're just curious, um, or thinking more about uh, a career outside of of that space, um, or you just finished school. So let's say you got your CS degree, maybe you got a portfolio together, and you're kind of getting the lay of the land, saying, "Hey, where can I go? What, where can I apply these skills, this trade that I've learned?" Um, possibly somewhere in between. Maybe you're a year or two out of school, got that first job on your belt, <clears throat> and you're thinking, "Hey, what else is out there?" So. Um, this is going to be about looking beyond traditional, looking beyond the obvious, the things that you know and think about when you think game development. Uh, here's a meme from Mr. Robot. So it's, it's just about the idea of just, you know, uh, looking beyond 
what your thoughts are of game development to all these other avenues. So there are other worlds out there and um, there's all different kinds of verticals and, and, and business models and different things in the non-traditional gaming space. Here's um, some of the categories I'm going to be diving into deeper and, and talking more about during this presentation. ArcViz, um, this is kind of like what it sounds. It's, you know, taking a design and just visualizing it in a way that a client will better understand what they receive uh, primarily around buildings. So uh, the output or the format can be varied. It can be photorealistic, animation, 3D, and often uh, more and more frequently in XR. And I wanted to... Um, I found this great little slide uh, about what XR is, because sometimes people say AR slash VR, um, but then you're missing the MR. And XR is kind of that all-encompassing format to describe, you know, the different genres within extended reality. So VR, it's your typical, what you think, HTC Vive, Oculus, things like that. Uh, AR is your augmented reality, like your Pokemon Go, probably the best example there. And mixed reality, um, best one for that, I would say, is the Magic Leap, which is a interesting piece of hardware with some, some cool potential. So all of these types of formats are used in this space for ArcViz, and um, it's a growing field. Uh, hiring is, as you would guess, is primarily for artists. So I took some, a screenshot here of all the different um, types of roles that are open. And you can see um, art direction, UI, lots of 3D. So there's all these different jobs in that space. And I've got inside information from Ringling that it's that's one of their um, biggest industries for people coming out of school. So if you're in the art space and you're looking beyond traditional game development, this is one of them. Immersive learning and training. Excuse me. So it's primarily in uh, corporate, medical, and workforce. Um, when you think of training, normally it's been kind of like PowerPoint type slides with clicking, um, maybe for compliance training or things like that. But now it's branching out. It's getting bigger. It's getting more visual. It's getting more interactive. Um, often it's XR based. A big example is the Walmart um, initiative and they're using XR to train 17,000 associates and, you know, soft skills, those can be easier to, to, to watch and visualize than say clicking with a mouse and, and answering a question or watching a, a, a short video. So, you know, this space is growing and, and again, a lot of it's being fueled by XR. Um, here's some example companies. So this, Stivr and STIVR and uh, 360 Immersive are some of the companies. Um, and as you can see from job openings, it's a lot of the traditional game development roles. So there's Unity 3D programmers and UI UX, of course, 3D modelers. I'm sure there's designers too. And, you know, this is an area that um, I see more and more potential with, with growth. And if Walmart's doing it, then obviously there's some research and some, um, uh, money behind it. So, uh, yeah, it's growing. Simulation space is big. There's lots of verticals in that. I'm just going to kind of 
tap into the medical one, you know, here at the beginning. And this is really geared, as you would guess, towards medical professionals. And it's about visualization and figuring out ways to get those better patient results, better patient outcomes. Um, there's a couple hundred of these location-based um, simulation labs, and they're throughout the country. There's one down in Peoria. Got a screenshot here from uh, Jump Simulations, which is the Peoria one. And it kind of recreates that environment. So they're, they're replicating uh, what the surgeons go through it so they can practice in this environment and get better at their skills. Other times they may be um, based at the hospital or where the practices. So the uh, the games or the, excuse me, the training will be based on location and they don't have to travel to these spaces. A uh, couple companies in the space, there's a really exciting one in Germany called Brain Lab, and they do a lot in the neurospace, neurology, um, uh, brain surgery, and uh, visualization, all those kind of things. Um, Heartflow is another one, as you would guess, has to deal with cardiologists. And they're hiring. So I took some screenshots. You can see um, Heartflow has a VP role there. and Brain Lab has tons of roles, and it's you know heavily in uh, engineering, also in arts, um, project management, all those kind of things. And they're based out of Munich, Germany, but they have companies all over the uh, the world, and they do a lot of cool stuff. Uh, also, along the lines of simulation, it gets a little controversial, but um, military. So, and it's part of this really broader, big top level genre, which is modeling, simulation, and training. And in that overarching genre, military is one of the biggest customers. And it's three to 10 billion a year. Um, and the contracts are huge. And, you know, the money is being spent by the companies in, in the hardware side. So the Lockheeds and Northrop's, things like that. Uh, organizations are involved with it that help out in that space. And it's um, a lot of it's concentrated in the Orlando, Florida area, which is kind of interesting. And again, it's not for everyone, but there is um, a lot of cool tech and um, a lot of interesting stuff that uh, goes on in that space. Um, also, in a little bit in the controversial space is the military games. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of the U.S. Army game, America's Army. And that came out, you know, 17 years ago. It was initially on the PC. I'd have a pretty high-end video card to run it. And um, yeah, it's really evolved over the years. It's 17 uh, years going, and it's on all the consoles. Um, they use Unreal Engine. So all those type of roles that are based for gaming using Unreal would be applicable here. You know, designers, programmers, project managers. And again, if that this can be controversial, but um, I'm just here to kind of show what the options are and, and not make judgment and let people decide on their own. Um, there's also these niches within the simulation. So things you would never think of, um, but they're out there and, and they tend to be pretty heavy on the engineering side. Um, a lot of math, a lot of simulation, a lot of calculations and, and, and trying to um, do predictive uh, work, but uh, oil and gas is one of them. And 
you know, as you can guess, uh, they want to take all this data and make smarter decisions, you know, when they're drilling and fracking or whatever they're doing um, in terms of the oil extraction. So uh, as you can see, there's a bunch of roles that are open in that space. It's um, not surprisingly heavy in uh, the Texas area and um, not sure about overseas, but um, yeah, it's a interesting uh, smaller vertical that just kind of gets into using all those math and simulation skills in a different way if you're an engineer. Same thing, weather and climate modeling. Um, there's an industry for that. And you think about all the craziness going on with our climates now and um, being able to predict that and run simulations and um, you know use it across all kinds of different applications. Um, and again, it's, it's heavily on the engineering side. And here are some examples. Another one, gambling. Um, full disclosure, I worked in the gambling industry for about a year and a half and did some slot machines, did a couple of prices, right? Slot machines and learned a lot. It's, um, it's huge. Um, I was shocked by this number. And again, this is a global in its prediction, but 450 billion with a B dollars. Um, when you think of casinos, the first thing that comes to mind is Vegas, right? Traditional location-based. So slot machines kind of fall into two genres or two two platforms, I should say. Um, there's the kind of classic, they call mechs mechanical. So you have the three reels, four or five, and it, it's what you think of for the old school kind of one arm bandit. You know, they spin, maybe they have some graphics that overlay on top of it, but there are physical reels that are spinning in there. Um, the other is the video, and that's when the screen actually simulates the reels. So all kinds of things you can do in that case with lots of uh, bang ups and big wins and special effects and sounds. Um, and yeah, they can be really elaborate. The prices right game were done. We had video monitors with uh, models from the show and there was showcase showdown and there was uh, four of them lined up with lights overhead. So when you won, the lights were flashing on you kind of like a TV show and it was like a whole environment. Um, so it's it's not your it's not the blue hair one arm bandit that you think of right so there's um or maybe you see at the location based areas around um restaurants and um gas stations and uh bars and things it's it, those are kind of the baseline ones but there are the more elaborate games that are out there a lot of them are uh unity based um all the roles that you would think of, 3D art, UI, animation, design, programming. Mathematicians is an interesting one because at the end of the day, that pie has to equal 100%. So however you divide up your base games and your big wins and all those things, um, they need to equal 100%. And then the RTP, return to player, needs to be set below 100% uh, because if the machine is paying out over 100%, you have a problem. And... That's not something you want to do. So a mathematician will work very closely with game design to figure out how to get that to work. Uh, lots of companies in this space, as you would guess, primarily based in Vegas, uh, Chicago area. List some of them below here with Scientific, IGT, Bally, Aristocrats. Um, actually, they're based on Australia. Credible Technologies got into this about five, 10 years ago. Normally known for um, Golden Tee Golf. But besides land-based, there's online casinos, and that 
hasn't really taken off here in the States, at least because of legislation. And I think it's about figuring out how everyone gets their cut before it goes legal between the casinos and the government and things. But um, it is more prevalent overseas and they're estimating 40 billion uh, with that. You have all those different kind of roles. You're not going to be pushing uh, the boundaries as much with um, in terms of graphics and things because it's an online platform and you have to be throttled with bandwidth and and dealing with those kind of things. But um, yeah, there are roles in those traditional game spaces. And there are companies in the space, uh, NetEnt and Paraplay. They kind of build these online uh, casino platforms that casinos then license from them to build games and. Um, Again, it's more overseas. I think it's just a matter of time until it gets more in the uh, uh, in the U.S. space. Hardware companies, right? So, so all of those game consoles, they need people working for them, doing different roles than making a traditional game. And obviously, you can work for Microsoft and work on Forza or things, but um, there are other roles. So. You know, I got examples here with screens talking about different jobs. Um, I have friends at all three companies, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, and they all came from uh, traditional console gaming and now work there. So there's a lot of opportunities there for your console platforms in addition to your XR platforms. So, you know, Magic Leap down in Florida, you can see, you know, audio, tech, game design, different roles like that, QA, lots of programming. Um, they've got roles open. Obviously, Facebook Oculus is in this, HTC Vive um, to some degree, and Microsoft also with the HoloLens too. But it's not just about hardware. Um, there's also the software. So all those tools you use to make games need people working on the tools. So... You know, you think about the game engines, Unity Technologies is huge, right? I, I started working with them in was around 2010. We were working on Marvel Avengers Initiative, and it was a much, much smaller organization. They were based in, um, I believe it was Copenhagen. We were doing those Skype calls. And now they're all over the world, multiple offices in San Francisco. I know people up in Montreal working with them. And they bought, you know, they have all kinds of roles, um, you know, more engineering than art. but um, there are roles to help build and support new features, fix bugs, all those kind of things. Same with Epic. We all know Epic Games down in North Carolina there. And um, yeah, I have a friend that works in that space too as an artist. He's an artist evangelist. And he's helping going on site and working with developers to uh, make better games using their engine. Uh, 3D modeling. It's now kind of a one-horse race with uh, Autodesk. He's up in Canada. They've um, kind of dominated, and uh, they now own Maya and 3D Max. And for those of you who don't know, uh, it used to be kind of a holy war. You know, 10, 15 years back, it was kind of like Mac versus Windows, right? It was you're the one camp or the other, and they hated each other. But now it's all part of the same company. And it seems like Maya's pretty much won that race, at least in terms of the uh, on the game side and the tools there, but there's a, games is only a small percentage of their market. You know, all the stuff like the auto industry and all these other areas, I think I've heard somewhere that only 10% of the revenue for um, Autodesk 
comes from the game industry and 90% comes outside. So there's a lot of options uh, in that space. And then there's other tools, you know, digital sculpting and painting, uh, ZBrush, Adobe Substance Painter. Um, these people have jobs. They have this comp these companies have openings. So I got some screens here, engineering roles, UI, things like that. Here's a big one, digital health. So, you know, you think about a market where things just are growing and are going to continue to grow. Um, I found this Business Insider slide kind of talks about from a very high level, all the different verticals and like all the different players. Um, and I'm sure you recognize a lot of those names. Um, it's huge. And in terms of game developers, um, you know, you're probably not going to be working at Aetna or um, something like that, but there are areas um, where you can work in this space. Um, patient individuals, you, you know, so it's uh, for people wanting to use an app for, say, an out, outcome or, or improving something. And then there's kind of looping back to the um, healthcare providers, you know, with the doctors. Say you're trying to deal with a condition like type 2 diabetes or you want to get into meditation, um, lifestyle change. You know, there's an app for that. Calm has raised $250 million and they're hiring for all these kind of roles. Um, it's obviously heavy on the engineering side, but, you know, UI, UX, all those kind of things are there too. Um, and then other companies like uh, Achille Interactive, you know, they're creating these digital medicines to help people's lives with cognitive impairment challenges and they've got open roles. So there's ways to work in games that are apps that aren't your traditional apps um, in terms of pure entertainment, but are trying to solve a need or help someone in some way. Here's the one I'm most excited about. Um, video games for doctors. So this is level X. I think it's really exciting. Um, I joined the company when there was a little over a dozen of us about two and a half years ago. And, you know, with, with a few contractors, I think our headcount is closing in on 90 here in the near future uh, in the next four to six weeks. We're growing like crazy. And um, we recently were awarded a grant to work with NASA. NASA has this program called Trish. And I've got a quick video here. I'll show you about it. And it's about helping doctors, um, helping astronauts in space um, when you're in microgravity dealing with medical conditions and situations because when you're in space your body is totally different gravity is not there to be pulling blood through your heart and all kinds of things change so astronauts need to know ways to deal with that um, in those situations and let me see if i can get the video to run here So we, we definitely see the video, but we won't be able to hear the audio, John. Um, oh, okay. All right. That's good to know. Yeah. Unless you put your speaker. Um, all right. I'll pull right back. And I'm sure this will be shared so people can click on the links and stuff. Yeah. But you can at least talk through it. Like, what are we seeing? And visually, it would be kind of interesting to kind of see what you guys are doing. 
Okay, we're back. Yep. Can you hear me? Yes, I do. So in terms of the company, let's make sure I'm going to kill this. Make sure we're not, there we go. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you're still on. Yep. Video games for doctors. We are not serious games or gamification. We use advanced game technologies in service of fun challenging, well-designed gameplay. We have over 500,000 downloads and across four different games uh, on iOS and Android. And our team comes from who's who in the game industry. You know, EA, Activision, LucasArts, Backflip, Zynga, Telltale, all kinds of places. I am hiring for all kinds of roles, senior designer, senior programmers, programmers, graphics, physics, UI, UX, all kinds of things. Our approach, compelling challenges, build the tech, play test, amplify what's fun. Programmers are involved with uh, real-time graphics, soft body dynamics, fluid simulation, all while uh, optimized for mobile and making these kind of dynamic world environments. Our game design uses uh, navigation, hidden object, first-person shooter, physics, and the idea being to create, you know, accurate, exciting games maybe mixed genres with exciting and deep replayability factor and artists are on the cutting edge zbrush substance designer unity and houdini um substance designer is is critical for dialing in those visual representations and uh working with doctors and uh, optimization on zbrush for modifying medical data is is important Here again are the roles I'm hiring for. And here's some of my closing connection information. So you can email me directly at john at levelx.com. Uh, again, the podcast is at info at gamedevadvice.com. Uh, I've got the Twitter uh, handles there. Check out the website, levelx with a dash backslash careers and then game dev advice and i'm gonna have a shout out to mark murphy at ringling and chris at diraga who uh, shared some information that kind of helped me with this presentation all right john well thank you so much for that uh this is a topic that i feel i always hint at when we are doing the uh podcast so uh this is the q a portion Yes, we do hear you. Do you hear me? You do hear me, right? You hear me just fine? Oh, no audio. Uh, let me check. Yeah, can you hear me? I can't hear anything. I can hear you. So this is part of the live thing. So Ian, do you hear me? Uh, I see. A, does that mean okay? We're. I can't hear anything. Oh, no worries. One sec. One second. 
As I check my Twitch chat. All right. So my audience hears me, but they are, for some reason, it's not connecting to you. So I'm going to do some troubleshooting a bit and, uh, and kind of get that. So I'll Discord chat. Let's see if I get you somewhere. So uh, this is actually a perfect time uh, for anyone that needs to ask the question. So I will be scavenging through Twitch, through Facebook, to Twitter, wherever you guys are. Just ask the questions. We have moderators there uh, to uh, to talk with you guys. So we're going to gauge these questions towards John as soon as he gets back. He's going to reconnect real quick. Uh, and uh, I think the field of the question... Directly, this is a perfect opportunity. This is something I always hint about to a lot of you guys out there that there is a huge amount of, uh, well, there's a huge world outside of games that uses game tools uh, specifically to kind of promote. So let me see if I hear John. Do you hear me, John? Do you hear me just fine? All right. So he's still gonna, he's gonna do the, I'm going to mute him real quick. So this is part of the fun, yes. I hear you. Do you hear me? No. All right. Let me do some troubleshooting on this side because I definitely have a lot of questions that I want to talk to him about. And uh, you got it? (laughs) It was disconnected. (laughs) That video might have... uh obviously caused some issues were, were you able to hear anything after the um video play yeah we heard everything so people were awesome. able to hear me and uh hear the fussing but now is actually the perfect time great uh we can go ahead and and get go about it all right so this is a cool. topic that i always uh am very interested in because this is a blossoming thing that i felt the last two three years that the 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 people who are on the bleeding edge of uh using game tools uh, outside of game development, uh, are, are are at least moving over to other uh, companies. And uh, can you kind of remind us again how long uh, has it been that you've been spending in this space? Just to give an idea. Yeah, um, two and a half years. So I came over from Zynga to Level X as the executive producer and shipped uh, our game Gastro EX, which is for GI doctors and. Um, I've seen firsthand just how this industry is growing. Uh, Just knowing that the tools are, like you said, really cutting edge, right? We're doing all kinds of things, especially on mobile, that um, it has to be optimized and be very realistic, but also fun. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it has to be about fun because if it's not engaging, um, doctors and physicians don't play it. So you got to make it fun. And uh, I've learned a lot just seeing. You know, even in the simulation space too, um, learning about trade shows and and, and how big some yeah, there's a whole world out there. And I think I think it was about a year ago I was on your podcast when we talked um, about the industry outside of traditional gaming. And um, yeah, it is a growing field. And again, I spent 28 years in more traditional gaming, although the um, gambling might fit outside of that. But yeah, it's exciting. Before we continue this week's episode, let's have a word from our sponsor. More and more companies are working remotely. 
But Parsec for Teams lets game makers break free from the studio and work from anywhere. You can use Parsec for professional and personal use to connect computers at 60 frames per second, ultra high definition video streams with super precise inputs for mouse handling and controller support. Working together is as simple as sharing a link with a teammate. You can then share files, review work, or even work together in a single program. It's the closest thing to being in the same studio. I actually use Parsec for running GDUX this year, and it was the greatest way for me to connect to my main computer and for my team to work with me to deliver the best virtual game dev conference. So I definitely see a huge use for remote working, but also playing games with each other. The biggest thing with remote desktop is that there are security concerns. However, Parsec for Teams ensures that only people on your team has access to your projects. Connections are peer-to-peer and encrypted, never touching the backend and features two-factor authentication and other security measures that gives you a peace of mind. So like mentioned before, the best use cases using Parsec for Teams is perfect for level design, animation, game development, playtesting, and more, and lets you seamlessly connect programs like Unity, Unreal, Maya, Cinema, 4D, and others. So hundreds of AAA and indie studios are already using Parsec for Teams to stay connected to their work. So go check it out at parsecgaming.com forward slash teams. It seriously is one of the easiest and fastest and reliable remote desktop applications I've ever used. And it's perfect for gamers and game developers alike. So go check it out in the link description below. Now back to this week's episode. Uh, So since the transition, maybe your first year, what was the most surprising thing that you discovered with this industry? Because it feels like a... Not exactly an open, well, a kind of an open secret, right? Not a lot of developers are aware. They're kind of tunnel vision with the game project mm-hmm. that they're working on. And if they are thinking of shifting or leaving, they are looking at most primarily at game companies and not exactly. Uh, and there's kind of like a disconnect. I'm sure like you know, you, you, you recruiting talent for uh level X and stuff, you're seeing this a lot. Not a lot of uh, developers know firsthand where to apply. And, and, mm-hmm. and thankfully you're from the industry, so you have connections, but most of these companies yeah. don't have that networking ability to kind of reach out to the right people. And so there's kind of like no bridge between the talent and the people who needs the talent. Um, that yeah. From what I've seen the last year and a half, can you kind of speak on this? Yeah. The, um, the bridge I see happening a lot, you know, with conferences and things. So we're very active at GDC and we give talks and people are like, wow, I had no idea that you guys were out there. You know, um, Seagraph, uh, the last two years we presented at Seagraph, went third place in 2018 and second place um, last year, you know, and we're presenting with people like Digital Domain and Unity and uh, Lucas and stuff like that. So um, we're spreading the word. I think people, it's starting to resonate. Um, you know, for some people, they're really excited about the technical challenges and the, and the technical problems and, and how they can use their skills technically. So it's like a different avenue for using those technical skills. Um, other people are excited about the the game design, right? Because it's it's kind of a little bit more of the Wild West. Uh, our, our VP of game design, John uh, Whitmore, kind of talked about 15 years in console, 10 years in mobile. And now he feels like he's back kind of in the early days of that because we're learning this as we go along and doing new different, new and different things instead of kind of 
turning the crank um, and just upping the graphics like you do in the normal game industry. So there are people that are are learning about it and being attracted to it. Um, and also, I think there it depends on the person, but for some people, the there's there's that intrinsic value of like I'm making a game. Uh, I'm working on content that helps doctors and doctors help patients. So like I'm, you know, indirectly helping up to millions of people based on, uh, you know, doctors seeing a couple thousand patients a year and, you know, having 500,000 downloads. So there's that uh, sense of a reward that you get knowing that you're, you're helping um, people and it's not just for pure entertainment. Um, but again, it's different for different people. Some people just, just love the gameplay challenges of trying to figure out how to do that different genres and mixing things and the technical and on the art side. Um, but it is growing. And, uh, I think it's going to continue to grow because there is no shortage of need in the healthcare space and other areas. So kind of just, a, a individual gauge, right? So the last two years from year one to year two, uh, it seems like there's a mm-hmm. uh, more awareness, uh, more growth, as you're saying, like, what would you say percentage wise, um, or at least key differences when you do approach someone at GDC about this, uh, their knowledge about it is there or their interest is there where you don't have to sell it as much. What, what is the difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's really about, it's not gamification, right? And it's not um, uh, simulation in the sense that it's boring, right? It, it's, I think there's a stigma, like maybe people be like, oh, it's, you know, because they think of kind of the stuff that's out there that maybe is not being done by people in the game space that are on the cutting edge. So, you know, I've been to some conferences where stuff looks like Half-Life, right? I'm like, you know, these companies maybe aren't, aren't current with things. So there is that stigma, but when they see the visuals and they see the design challenges that we have and and they see the tools we use, they're like, wow, this is, you know, the same stuff you do in traditional gaming, but it's just for a different audience and it's for doctors. And, and again, it's about fun, right? If it's not fun, they hit the home button and uh, if 5,000 other apps on their phone. So um, I think if you make it fun, and, and let people know that it, that that's what we focus on is fun. It's it's not just doing dry simulation or gamification things, but making it really exciting. Um, I think part of the transition too was learning uh, the medical angle of it, right? Because when I came in working on on gastro, I didn't know anything about gastro, and I, I learned about different types of polyps. and And we have an actual medical team that's embedded with the the game team. Uh, that does research and finds visual references and gets us ideas for, you know, cases uh, for different types of gameplay. And, um, you know, just learning about medical and then thinking, all right, how can we apply that to these different types of mechanics and how can we make that look really realistic on mobile running at frame rate and all those kind of things. Um, But I think the angle with learning from mobile has been really exciting, excuse me, learning from medical has been really exciting. Just trying to figure out how that mixes into this big mashup between um, state-of-the-art graphics, gameplay, and and medical, creating fun, compelling content. And I would like to kind of explore the, the client side of things. So doctors, of course, uh, haven't been exposed to this industry. Uh, I think a lot of these enterprises, these verticals, kind of did the same where the last 
10 years of game development uh, or not at all, completely ignored it. And until graphic fidelity reached a, a point where it was on par with uh, pre-render content, where they're like, whoa, whoa, all right, time to pay attention. So when you're working with doctors or presenting this new uh, world to them of how to educate and how to apply and practice basically their craft, uh, what kind of responses uh do you usually get with interfacing with people who have no idea where games are nowadays? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think they get really excited about it. Um, and it kind of depends on the subsection of the audience, you know, with doctors, because some of them may never have been exposed to any of this, right? We did a VR experience for gastro where you're standing in a giant colon and they were maybe had tried VR before. And now they're, you know, in this little sandbox environment and they're pulling polyps and one of them triggers a blood rupture uh, with a vessel underneath it. And you have to cauterize it with a APC gun, which is kind of like a lightsaber. Um, and they just get um, really drawn into it. Um, other people, the medical professional, you know, they grew up playing games. We, you know, we do a lot of play tests uh, with doctors and, uh, you know, they talk about, you know, playing Call of Duty and things like that, maybe as a way for uh, uh, entertainment, stress relief. So they're like, they're familiar where, where the technology is and where the graphics and the fidelity are, but not just in their world. And they get really excited, right? Cause like you think about it, your, your, your life of a, of a doctor or surgeon has been focused on, on this pursuit, say cardiologists. So you've been studying and, and, and learning and building your whole life around that. And now you have this app that you can play that speaks to that, right? So it's it's it feels very custom to them, and they feel very um, grateful. You know, to be honest, like like wow, I can like pull this out of my pocket. I've got 10, 15 minutes. I can learn about this, um, you know, type of monitor that Philips has that lets you see um, where there's blockage for placing stints at a better level of say granularity. So you can, I can be better at placing stints. And, and I learned about this uh, new type of technology from Philips, you know, with, with a device in my phone, um, a game on my phone in my pocket. And I think they're, they're embracing it. And, and that's why we've, you know, hit half a million downloads across four platforms or excuse me, four games on iOS and uh, Android. And what are, I don't know if you have the exact data, maybe we don't need it, but what is the uh, general impression? Because uh, from little that I know, and I think we kind of talked about this the last time we talked on the podcast, um, doctors or surgeons, usually their first hands-on is on a patient or something like that, right? Am I getting that fact wrong? Like how do they Um, used to practice before apps or any simulations? Yeah, it was uh, primarily on, you know, cadavers and, and sometimes, uh, in some cases there'll be a new device or something that, um, there'll be a rep from the company, you know, in the operating room with them the first time they're using it. Um, you know, to think of it that way. So, um, now instead of having to do it that way, you know, they can practice on a phone and get more familiar with it. So there's, um, they're more comfortable with it. They understand uh, how it works more and they, they understand the challenges. And it also gives them like an environment to, um, you know, experiment in a safe way. Um, 
but back to the question on the um the first time yeah sometimes it is actually um you know in an operating setting with somebody from that company and and they're getting that training um with that representative um and we're here to kind of bridge that gap and and give them those tools before they get in that situation and uh learn about them and have fun one thing that most uh game developers or people viewing are listening don't realize how big these verticals are in it by itself right so we're talking about the game industry making games using game tools right you got to think about also the medical industry and within that there are different sectors of medical fields that can use game tools and 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 Mm -hmm. apply it and and actually get practice out of it but there's also pretty much every industry that you can think of out there that has some type of training tool or need uh, can make use of virtual reality. And then I think one of the big thing about mm-hmm. VR that people dismiss is that they think it's a complete failure. And it is in a way where it's slowly on a consumer level, um, not picking up as fast as we want to on an entertainment level. But mm-hmm. there are companies that are using it as a training device or, uh, or other practical needs that are using game tools, but not for pure entertainment that people mm-hmm. don't really think about. And it's only the last few years that the savvy ones, such as yourself and some others, uh, are taking notice and are shifting gears and kind of escaping what's happening with the game industry. Because I think we can pretty much, well, I can pretty much speak to this. The last two years that you left the game industry, uh, things are pretty much the same. (laughs) We're mostly uh, dependent on uh, game sales. And uh, if anything, it's gotten harder. Uh, The saturated market uh, makes it a lot tougher to stand out, but also mm-hmm. we're in a weird period where on a personal level, and we were just talking about this yesterday in our round table where, uh, I have games that I own that would, uh, take up my next two years of my life. If I just spent the whole day on it, let alone buying new games, which is constantly mm-hmm. on the daily, throwing being thrown at me with thousands of new games that I probably would be interested in but how do we circumvent that problem as a gamer as a game developer is it's causing a lot of uh, chicken or the egg problem right so mm-hmm. taking a step back my question to you this is a long-winded way to ask this question is like what have you noticed um I don't know if you still keep up with us <laughs> but what what oh, yeah, are you definitely. all right what are you seeing from that other side of the field well, you know, being in this space, looking back at traditional gaming, it's, um, you know, it's that arms war, right? So it is just, you know, the budgets keep getting higher, the break-evens keep getting higher, and it, it just, you know, when does it end, right? It, it just seems like it's harder and harder to for companies to make that money back unless they're, you know, a Madden or a Red Dead or something something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I kind of look at that and like, wow, it's just, it, it's just there's going to be less and less players um, unless they, they go in this, you know, the indie route or, or, or smaller, but it's those mid-sized companies are just getting squeezed. You know, I saw that firsthand at Midway. Um, and then in terms of, you know, our space, our CEO was at a conference once and it was kind of, they were talking about like, you know, who's in VR, right. And then all these 
people there, you know, raise their hand and it's like, who's making money in VR? And hardly anybody's hands was up, you know, when that question was asked. Um, enterprise is making money in VR, right? That's the vertical that is making money. And, and we've developed um, uh, trade show experiences that are in VR or um, in, uh, excuse me, MR also now with uh, the Magic Leap. And, you know, there is money in that space that um, there isn't in the consumer space because it's, it's still, uh, especially for the cutting edge VR, it still feels very hobbyist in some ways, you know, with the vibe, it's, it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You plug it back in, you have to have a $4,000 computer. Yeah, there's all these barriers of entry, um, although I know like the PlayStation VR is kind of removing that, where um, it just hasn't been embraced in that way that I think everyone thought they would be making all this money. Whereas, um, you know, outside of traditional gaming, there is money being made in, in the XR space. And I can say that with certainty. So as you're in these conventions and kind of open the doors for a lot of us to finally realize the potential of different industries, uh, I'm imagining you're rubbing a lot of shoulders with other uh, recruiters, producers from other uh, industries. And what, what kind of the issues are they, have, are they having? Is it just purely just looking for more talent? Because we're in a converting stage, I imagine. It's like a lot of it's like making, educating uh, the talent about these uh, industries, but also uh, there's a lot of changing of workflow. Not really, right? I, I in a way, it's it's a changing of mindset. It's like, hey, it's going to be a stable job, yeah. right? Uh, you're not have to have worry or crunch. You know, there's a lot of languages there that if I have PTSD from work, it's like, what what are you saying to me? Uh, so, like, what what are mm -hmm. other verticals? Uh, and all these other people from the other side, outside the medical field saying, are they sharing the same uh, worries and concerns? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I've, I've had some more exposure recently in the, in the simulation space because we do some recruiting there, obviously for the NASA Trish project. And um, it seems like people get burned out from the, you know, the crunch and the grind, and then they go in the simulation space and then it's a more, nine to five type role, but it's not as, um, exciting, you know, so they, they kind of miss that adrenaline rush, maybe seeing the commercial for the game on TV, you know, that they work on and stuff. And then they flip back and go to the, um, uh, traditional entertainment gaming. So, um, there's a push pull kind of thing goes there where sometimes the simulation space pulls them out of, of uh, traditional gaming and then they have them for a while and then they go back. Um, you know, I can speak firsthand. There's an experience where we had a, we have a really talented UX designer that was in our space at our company and he spent some time and, uh, helped us ship a game, Cardio X, which is phenomenal, especially in the UX. And he had a brief period where he thought, you know what, I, I really miss that console experience working on that AAA game, you know, the game that you see on TV, the commercial for that everybody talks about. Uh, he left the company and six weeks later he was like, you know what? I went back and he, he actually changed his mind and uh, came back to work for us because he realized um, he missed some of those challenges that we deal with. And he realized it was going to be doing the same old thing again. And, and just um, the reward from having that high profile game wasn't enough uh, to stay in the industry. And that's why he came back um, from the traditional gaming to, to our studio doing this 
kind of new area of types of gaming. So, um, if that answers your question, but, um, the industry itself pulls from different areas and, um, there's a need for a, a lot more excitement in the medical space. Uh, the trade shows are nothing like E3. So when you come in with something cool and it's XR based, um, people get really excited and, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of growth opportunity in these, in these different verticals. Yeah. It'd be uh, kind of funny that these doctor conventions are as big as E3. <laughs> you know, it, it was at, um, I went to DDW and it was at McCormick place, which, you know, that's where the, the auto show is in Chicago. So it, it's, it's billions and billions of dollars a year are spent on these conventions and, um, it's a huge industry. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's different than E3. It's, it's more conservative, right? You know, putt, putt golf, uh, hot dog, uh, carts and, uh, baristas. And it's not as exciting as, uh, the game industry. So when we show up with VR and, uh, you got blood shooting out and APC, uh, lightsaber like devices, people get really excited and, and that resonates with those companies because they see as a great way to get people excited about their products. Yeah. I mean, this comes with age and, 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 and other responsibilities to like, um, the last two, two and a half days we've had speakers on and, uh, anybody that have gotten to that level where they worked on the dream project that they want to work on, uh, at least on a personal level, what I found was uh, I felt very unfulfilled. Uh, and I went through a couple of those cycles where it's like, oh, maybe because I need to work on the other franchise that I would want to work on. And it got less and less exciting on launch day. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't until like three, five years ago where I started to boil down the importance. You know, I love working on projects, but it, become, it became less on... Um, it became more about control of what I put out and within a big environment within other companies, uh, no matter how, how high you climb, you really don't have that much control over the final product, right? You just have a room full of, um, leads at most, but even right. then you have 300 plus members on your team that has, that should have an equal say, uh, and it becomes less right. and less your baby, right? So mm -hmm. uh, what I have uh, found salvation in is in these different industries outside of a game using game tools, I, I really do see it mm -hmm. as a a very mature step uh, in your career as a game developer to move on towards because at that stage, you have a wife and family or a husband, uh, basically a family to support that you want stability, that you want uh, less less uh, weight into the final sales of a product because that is always a variable no matter how much you, you uh, spend millions on that's not yours. A company that has been, that have been putting like the fifth or sixth game of that franchise still is praying that that game does well right there is no winning formula uh mm. and i think with the market being saturated and stuff i, I don't feel like that problem is ever going to go away it's going to get worse uh mm -hmm. and i'm i'm so glad that these different industries are are, are happening do you f can you kind of speak on your theory on 
why exactly there has been sort of like a trigger for these industries um, in the last two years. I have a personal thinking on it, but I want to hear your thoughts on um, how, how this came to be all of a sudden um, that it's growing. Yeah. Um, the tools are there now and, and, and the tools can just move over from traditional gaming. So again, you know, we're in unity. Um, you know, we use, use Maya, um, use all the different perforce, all the different kind of things that you use, you know, in the traditional space. And, and there is that those opportunities that are out there now where, um, you can just apply those talents that you have in a more meaningful way or in a more challenging way, technically, you know, I think in some cases people have kind of been to the top of the mountain and then now, now, you know, what's next kind of to your point, right? Like I, I'd worked on the number one game in the country, in the country. And, um, I was kind of like, okay. And what's next, you know, what's next. And, um, now they're asking themselves that more and they're seeing this industry, they're seeing our company, there's, they're seeing this, these other areas where they can have a bigger contribution where it's, it's not three or four or 500 people spread all throughout the world. And it's, uh, you know, at the whim of how marketing spends the money to see if their game is a success and if they have a job or not, but you're in more uh, control of your own destiny, you know, a lot of times at these companies and, um, you have more input and more say. And, and, and I think that's, what's exciting. And that's, what's attracting people is that it gets more to the heart of game development and, and you see the results and you're not so much a cog, you know, in the machine. And, um, and again, it's cutting edge and you're, you're doing all those, all that cool tech stuff. Uh, a lot of times again, back not to harp in the past, but it, it was a lot about gamification and, you know, edutainment and, you know, and again, a lot of that stuff is crap, right? So people would see that and be like, eh, I don't want to deal with that. I, I, I don't want to, I'm a trades, I'm a craftsman. I, I don't want to, I'm a craftsperson. I, I don't want to be part of that. But then when they see stuff being high fidelity, visual graphics and fun gameplay, they're like, ah, okay, I can see my skills being applied, you know, in that space. And then they, they start to get attracted to it. And then um, they make that transition. And I think that's why we've grown so fast and why we've, we've had so much success is um, just that combination of doing all those different kind of things and being able to do all those uh, technical challenges and gameplay challenges and uh, being on the cutting edge with art and, you know, figuring out ways to help people. And a lot of our company is young. I'm one of the second or third oldest person in the whole company. So it's not um, a lot of people, uh, at the later stage of their careers, people, all stages of their career, you know, we've hired people straight out of uh, DePaul with a master's program that just came in and just done, you know, fantastic work. So I think it's people looking for, for different options, different alternatives, um, and, and also wanting a little bit better of a life balance. So maybe they can work on their own game outside of work. Um, you know, a lot of these big companies, the big media companies, are run by lawyers and the lawyers say you can't have, you can't work on games outside of work. You can't have games out published outside of, um, you, you know, your role here. Um, companies like ours embrace that. We're like, Hey, more power to you, right? If you want to get better in unity, if you want to get better using uh, ZBrush and do it on your own time, that's fine. And then um, bring those skills to work and it's, everything's um, 
everyone's cool with that. So uh, I think it's about work-life balance, having those different kinds of opportunities to solve both technical and design-wise, and um, just thinking about uh, holistically about what, what your work does and how it contributes to society if you want to even get a little deeper, but which kind of resonated with me as part of the reason. But there's different different answers for different people. But yeah, that's kind of how I see it. I mean, it's definitely a big sell that you're saving lives now with game tools. Um, yeah, but uh, well, for good. I, yeah, <laughs> but um, I like that you're touching upon a point that. Um, oh, two things, right? So these um, these game companies that are kind of pushing the developers to a breaking point and. Um, Aside from that, uh, you're you're interfacing with a lot of professionals that we wouldn't normally interface with. So you're talking about you have a medical team that helps with the research and stuff. Uh, how has that interaction been? Because you're at the same time, um, well, I'm sure like game developers kind of take over a workplace where you're like, oh, right, it's like a game studio again. But then there's like that yeah. great hybrid with other professionals that are way smarter than we are. Um, and then where you're like, talking across the table to them about uh things that actually matter so i mean that's it's a different day-to-day yeah. life that i i i think that uh most developers would embrace but something that is kind of unusual right yeah no it's really exciting right um because you're uh involved with medical people and and you learn about stuff and you're like oh wow that's what goes on when you have a colonoscopy i didn't know that and that's um now I know more about that. And and then um, you figure out ways to make gameplay around that and, and other areas around medical. And it's, it's this weird dance between medical and design because you need to make things fun and they need to be medically accurate. So um, it's, it, it's fun in the sense that you're, you're trying to figure out where that line is and, uh, and then you play tests and you get feedback and you learn because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not a cardiologist. So, my opinion um, doesn't matter as much uh, by any stretch as uh, a cardiologist. So we, we put the games throughout development in front of cardiologists or uh, whatever the specialty is so that they can learn um, and we, we can get their feedback, I should say. But um, I think it's really fun just having medical, they, they sit right with the game team, right? So the, they're just like another artist or designer or programmer and they're doing spreadsheets and, maybe have different things up uh, for reference and, but they're in the meetings and they're kind of rolled in with the team. And it's cool too, when you hear how that mashup happens, I, I remember there was a, one of our designers had been about six weeks at the company and I heard him talking about the game cardio X and he's talking about this and we have to do the stint into that. And I just kind of looked at him like, dude, you sound like a doctor, you know, cause it was like, he, he had to embrace that subject matter so we dove into it to really understand it and then to learn about it and then to figure out how to come up with cool content, um, fun gameplay, compelling mechanics, you know, using that medical information. So you, you kind of embrace that, that medical angle and figure out ways to reshape it and make it fun. Um, and it's cool to learn about medical stuff, right? It's um, our medical people, biomedical engineers, they talk about, you know, dissecting cadavers in school and, you know, all the kind of crazy stuff that they know. Um, so it, it's a fun way to learn um, about stuff that affects all of us, which is health, right? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, there is actually something that I just remembered when you were talking about how uh, this has actually gotten more um, offensive, actually, in the last uh, few years. It used to be about bigger uh, companies not allowing you to work on games outside of the company that you work for where uh, at least competitive games right a game you can't if you're working mm-hmm. on a first person shooter you can't work on a first person shooter at home all right that kind of makes sense i understand and then it's slowly mm-hmm. spread out to like uh well you can't really work on anything that is uh being put out on the same devices it's like okay all right and then now it's completely it gotten to the point uh, with a lot of artists friends that i have where you can't work on any personal artwork just an image rendering uh if you're a character artist and because that would be uh counted as uh owned by the company which is uh kind of insane um how pervasive that uh these lawyers that these big companies are kind of limiting the creative freedom that what creatives are really good at being creative Mm -hmm. and uh i think what's refreshing is that these other industries recognize the importance of it and being somewhat non-competitive, uh, it doesn't really even factor in as a problem. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear more of your thoughts about that because uh, that's something the last mm-hmm. year and a half, you know, I, I'm interfaced with my friends and it's gotten so much worse and it's not at all improving. And it's crazy how it's not illegal <laughs> to that point where they make right. you sign a contract before employment, you know. Yeah, I, I think there's kind of two angles to it, right? There, There's the, well, if you got gas in the tank to work on your own stuff, why don't you just crunch more, right? You know, so there's that mentality, which is not healthy um, and wrong. And, and then the other one is just, yeah, the lawyers are there. And, you know, you could have a game that has nothing to do with anything on the game that you're working on, but because it's out there, and the lawyers are kind of running the show, um, you have to pull it down or you can't have it out. And you know, I think that's just wrong, right? You know, people in our industry want to create, right? That's what, that's what drives them. That's their passion. That's, that's their, 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 their juice and not being able to do that or having to do it under pseudonyms or other kind of stuff. Um, I think it's just, it's just wrong. And it just kind of shows how some of these companies, um, the power they have and, and, and how the lawyers are in control and it's, it's not right. Right. Um, and, and we openly encourage people to work on stuff outside of work. You know, we've had a couple of our people have game of the day, um, on the app store, um, for their personal game. And, you know, they work with us during the day. And if you look, um, level 80 or is it 80 level, um, Ryan Blake, who's our art director, had all this amazing 3d modeling done for this, um, kind of retro space stuff he had done on the side. And, you know, guess what? He's getting better at ZBrush. He's getting better at his craft, at his skill doing that. So why would you not embrace that? Um, Because that, you know, um, translates back to your day-to-day work. It makes you better in that space also. And it's just lawyers that don't understand game development calling the shots. Um, It's wrong. Uh, There used to be a joke at Midway. The CEO would say, I own your dreams. And I think he was only half kidding, you know, um, <laughs> and uh, so it's been like that for a while. But it's yeah, it's, it's traditionally the big media companies. So the, those are the ones, the big companies that um, have the rooms full of lawyers. They have to justify their lawyering. That's a word. Um, and 
yeah, it's just wrong. People should be able to work on games outside of work, especially if it's nothing related to what uh, the games that they're working on are. And this is something I've noticed too. Um, like later in my career, I, I consciously made the move into smaller teams, uh, mobile development, uh, just outside of AAA, right? And what I've noticed, especially on the smaller teams, like there's a mix of the the veterans who have escaped, right? That been through it and are happy and uh, to for for actual uh, weight. And in, 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 in staying in the in the boardroom, right, making decisions that actually matter. And then there's the mix of the young talent that are eager to get to where those resumes were and are just finding this as a step to get to that. And there's a constant like reminder of like, hey, you don't have you have no idea how good you have it right now. Like, but there is just no way of convincing mm -hmm. these young talent of like, un unless they go through it themselves, that you can only share so many stories and share so many war scars uh, before they're like, yeah, 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 you're burned out. You're just saying this and that. So what what, what is your advice? Let's say you were to sit down. I'm sure you run into this all the time, especially with the young talent. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, but I want to work on the next Call of Duty, Call of Battlefield. It's like, it's not as good as it sounds, but uh, good mm -hmm. luck, you know. What what do you usually say to these guys? Yeah, it's, um, you know, sometimes they just have to experience it themselves, right? And and I tell them, like, it's, it's not as great as you think it is. And, you know, my friend said, uh, he had a quote, like, the quote where like it's uh it's fun to drive a ferrari but it's not fun to make it sometimes right but you know they have that vision of their head of speeding down the road and, and they don't understand what goes into the as we as we call it in the industry it's kind of gross but the, you know just making the sausage right you know what's actually going into that and they don't understand the the late nights and the sleep deprivation and um the futons and all that kind of stuff that go into it so um you try and point them in the right direction you you tell them to Google things, right? You know, if you look up EA Spouse, that came out in, what was it, 2002, 2004? And it kind of talked about the dark side, you know, with the crunch and things um, up until more recent stuff going on. And uh, it's out there, but um, you just have to experience it. Like, like myself, I would get, uh, every 10 years, I quit the industry and I would just be like, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. And, you know, it's like Godfather 2. I get out and they... Pull me back in, you know, and it's like, ah, oh, you're doing what? What are you working on? Oh, shit. All right. Maybe I'll talk to you about that. And I would get back in it again. And then I'd be like, why am I doing this? You know, so I went through myself multiple cycles like that until I just said, you know, that's enough. And there's got to be better ways to, you know, make games um, without killing yourself, but also that are fun and, and um, that have value. And it's not just point and click and, and boring gamification stuff, but it's actually compelling fun content so um yeah i i i don't know people people have to either learn it themselves or just hear from enough veterans like ourselves and read enough uh websites and blogs to know that maybe i don't want to get into that and, it, and i i do think there is a bit more of a mind shift um happening over the last decade where people are less prone to be like uh put up, uh, how should I say, uh, to, to put up with that, you know, maybe they're like, no, I, I don't want to make those sacrifices to my health and my life. I, I want to have a life outside of work. So they, 
they're more open to ideas of, of working in different spaces in the game industry that don't expect that because, you know, back when I got in it, it was just, that's just the way it is. It's just, it's a, it was just part of the deal. You know, it's like you go through the boot camp of, of QA and can you survive the gauntlet and can you make it to the next tier? And, you know, until one day you go, where's this all going? What's the value in this? What, what does this mean at the end? So I say, come work with us. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with you there. There's definitely more awareness. And I feel with level X and other industries outside of games, more options um, that's slowly building. I, I feel like there's a maybe another I you probably have a better gauge in this, but like mother a year or two where you can start seeing these type of job postings and be familiar with it uh, to kind of recruit talent and actually have options outside of the traditional game development companies. Uh, I, I see that fastly becoming the, 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 the trend because uh, like you said, yeah. I mean, these industries are in need of talent and have lots of money. So it's only a matter of time where the conversion happens. <laughs> if not, right, already. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's going to, the apex will happen. So, uh, yeah, John, uh, maybe this is a great point, time to kind of throw back your uh, closing connection slide so that people can find you. Great. Uh, um, but uh, I'm going to hand the mic over to you and uh, just as a send off, uh, people who are interested, uh, how can they find your company? How they can find you? How they get connected to you? Cool. I'm going to go back to share the screen here. Um, There we go. Can you see that? Yes. All right. Here we go. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, John at level dash ex.com. That's my email and info at game dev advice.com. Uh, that's the website for, or excuse me. That's the email for uh, my podcast. Twitter's uh, level X game dev or game dev underscore advice. Uh, the careers page. You can just go to level X, click on careers. It's right in the middle of doing an update. So it should be a, newer version coming out pretty quick um but yeah go to the careers page check out all the roles click on the link see if it, you're a fit for one of the roles and then the podcast um if you go to the website there are links to all the platforms you can listen to you know itunes stitcher spotify all the usual suspects um and yeah it's just a fun one-on-one -on -one conversation i have with uh people in the industry usually friends of mine kind of telling the war stories Often the story is talking about crunch, um, but I think I think people should just really check out the website for levelx.com because there is a lot of exciting things that we're doing. We're getting into new genres. We're pushing the boundaries with uh, medical and gaming, and um, really, really doing attracting the best of the best. About twenty percent of our studio has uh, relocated to Chicago from uh, various places, and I'm hiring. So check it out. Think outside the box, try something different.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody